Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 112. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing okay. We're recording this a little bit late because uh, Kevin suffered from a uh, debilitating migraine. How's it? Uh, how are you feeling? Back to back migraines. Double migraine. Doubled up on the migraine. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's good to hear you're feeling better. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Nose, nosebleeds and migraines. That's been my life for like the last month. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Well, this week we'll be speaking with writer-director Jeff Barnaby about his film Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching before getting into two feature reviews. This week we'll be talking about the festival film Nothing Bad Can Happen. And then we'll be getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show for a review of The Raid 2. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Uh, first up, let's have a chat with director Jeff Barnaby and talk about his film Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show. I was thinking before we get into talking about Rhymes for Young Ghouls that you could just give us give us a little history lesson because we're we're located in the U.S., and our, uh, we never learned about that kind of Canadian history. So I was wondering if maybe you could just give us a quick backstory. Um, well, nobody's learned about this part of history. It's actually quite a point of contention here, too, that it's not a part of uh, high school or any kind of his- history curriculum anywhere in, in Canada, despite the fact that it helped shape Canada's landscape. Basically, what happened was uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, the first prime minister of um, Canada, instituted a policy where, actually, it's it's interesting because uh, there's there's some sort of almost uh, folklore that it was because of the the way the U.S. treated uh, the Native American populace in the, in the southern part of uh, North America that he decided to take a different route. Uh, the famous quote is. Uh, kill the Indian and, and save the man. And so he decided to institute a policy in which the native children of uh, tribes, basically everywhere across uh, Canada, would be scooped up uh, as young as four years old, maybe even sometimes as young as three, and be taught English and uh, whatever else uh, the state deemed worthy of uh, this, this Indian kid of knowing. So that that that's basically what happened. Um, that was the the foundation for what came uh, later when all these kids started dying and uh, there was reports of abuse, uh, sexual abuse. Um, uh, well, basically, you know, just ran the gamut in terms of uh, the atrocities that one human being can do to another. Uh, and a few years ago maybe about 10, 10 years ago, maybe as far back as 15 years ago, they found a mass grave outside of one of these residential schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and the initial estimate is probably about four, 4,000. Wow. 4,000 kids uh, died over the course of maybe a century. Um, I'm not 100% sure when the, the policy was instituted. Uh, I almost feel guilty for not knowing this. But um, it closed, the last school closed in the 90s, if you can believe that. So it was uh, it was around for quite a while, and it has quite quite a, quite a notorious history here. And it, it, it left quite a legacy. And I think that's actually what we try to do with the film, is that we try to directly tie 
what happens at the residential school to what happens in the community and tie a, a direct a direct link because I think uh, that's one thing that you don't really see in documentaries is uh, I mean, the ability to kind of manipulate somebody's emotions. Mm -hmm. You can't the way the same way you can in fiction. And it, <laughs> even if you do it in docs, your your doc is considered to be you know, contrived, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's basically the uh, the the ten cent ten cent tour of residential school history. Wow. Wow. Now we're admittedly ignorant when it comes to the residential school system in Canada. Everybody and is. yeah, and it, which you mentioned before is uh, you know like almost half of the non-Aboriginal Canadian population is never. And I was wondering because I'm interested now, like where can I go to find out more information? Um, you know, do it's, more it's research. Actually, it's actually uh, there's a truth and reconciliation uh, panel going on now. That's shedding quite a lot of uh, light on the history of residential schools. There's a inquiry going on. Uh, and the first report of which was released uh, a few months ago. So that that's out there. So you're starting to see literature pop up on uh, the interesting thing. <laughs> the interesting thing is that the the current uh, the current government, uh, current conservative government was actually blocking that inquiry from retrieving some of those files. I think at some point uh, the Superior Court of Canada needed to get in, get involved. So it's it's still a it's still like I said quite a point of, of contention here. The last school closed in the nineties, so the survivors uh, of of this you know sexual abuse and uh, the physical abuse uh, they're still around and they're giving testimonials. So the information is out there everywhere. You just need to Google Residential Schools Canada and you'll you'll find tons of stuff. Now, was this uh, tied in with the church somehow? Yes, it was actually, uh, it was state-sponsored, but it was church-run. So when you're talking about the history of residential schools, it's not exactly localized to Native culture. I mean, anywhere you see a, a Catholic church spring up or a, you know, a, a Christian church spring up, you, you know, inevitably you get these, these horrible uh, cases of, of sexual abuse. So... By no stretch of the imagination, it's this localized native culture. It's just right. this is probably the only place I think, uh, maybe outside of Australia, where it was state state sponsored. It's just that's so crazy, and and the fact the fact really that is. it's like relatively contemporary too. Like that this it's not like this happened you know hundreds of years ago. I mean, this is like a relatively new thing within the last you know several decades. Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, well, the, the the film is set in the '70s, mm -hmm. so we're talking like my generation and uh, my parents' generation, my grandparents. So everybody, um, everybody, uh, basically alive today has been directly affected by by residential schools. So you see, well, basically, what it does is it provides a backdrop to some of the social problems of, of First Nations tribes in Canada and uh, even in the U.S. Really. So did you have relatives in the residential school system? Nobody talked about it, honestly. You you see this almost legacy of shame mm. where there's just no no real, I don't know, desire to talk about it. I don't know if that's the word, but everybody is, is, is ashamed of what happened. So unfortunately, uh, not too many people in my family have spoke about it. But I know this the school that uh, that was in our community, that... Uh, that that was shut down, I think, uh, well before my time. I know my my mom didn't go to a residential school. I don't know about my grandmother. Like I said, uh, she didn't 
speak about it. My grandparents never really spoke about it. And um, as far, well, you know what? I, I can say this for sure. My my community is ultra religious. I went to catechism every every day after school, and it was it was quite a thing if I missed. And uh, I know our catechism teachers and uh, the the priests weren't weren't above getting physical with us. Mm. And you you got a sense that there was a almost an authority not over, not not just over the children but over the um, over the parents too. Oh. So and uh, I know I know uh, it was it was still pretty discouraged to speak micmac and it uh you know the interesting thing about micmac too we're first contact we're first we're a first contact tribe it's so interesting when i heard your uh <laughs> when i heard your interview you're you're saying that nobody's ever heard of the micmac and i was like hey, that's, that's kind of weird because uh we're we're first contact and i don't mean when when champlain got here in like uh 97 or whenever it was 1497 you're you're talking about like eric the red and the vikings when they came over like centuries earlier we we've been in contact with uh with non-native people for for quite a while so when it comes to dealing with the legacy of residential schools it's it's interesting because there's a huge history of uh influence in in Mi'kmaq culture from from religious texts and one of the first things that happened was uh they translated the bible into Mi'kmaq mm. and it's 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 so weird to see it's 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 weird to say that the oppressors these these colonists came here and helped help salvage the language but they did because they were like I said they were first contacts so nobody spoke Mi'kmaq and they had to learn it in order to start communicating with the tribe so we have all these old texts and uh, all these old religious texts that are uh, translated to, to Mi'kmaq, and that's uh, in part helped keep the language alive. The weird thing is too, they did it so soon, you actually see uh, the petroglyphs, the Mi'kmaq petroglyphs that uh, the, the first tribes were using to write with, actually one of the oldest writing systems in uh, North America next to the Mayans, and you'll still see uh, religious texts in the, uh, in the old uh, petroglyphs. And you actually see them in the film, you'll see the petroglyphs, um, in the last scene where the blood splatters mm -hmm. on that kind of godlike figure, there's a petroglyph on his mouth for uh, for God. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Some, <laughs> some, some geek. See, this, this is such fascinating information. Like, I, I, this is all stuff that's completely new to me. I think that you could probably make a documentary about all this stuff, so... Oh yeah, that's uh, that's that's all been done. I mean, all this is all this is out there. The, the National Film Board is, uh, has a great you know, history of documenting a lot of native, a lot of native issues, particularly the Mi'kmaq. We have a really, um, we have a really, a kind of a, a patriarchal, well, uh, how can I describe? <laughs> well, we have this amazing documentary filmmaker by the name of Alanisa Bumsawin, who, who made this uh, fantastic film called Incident at, at Lestigwish, uh, dealing directly with my, with my reserve and uh, she she basically took up uh, the cause for different tribes. She's a native filmmaker too, and um, so she's she's made quite a few films uh, documenting <laughs> the political stuff, uh, contemporary political issues of native of uh, native tribes. But in terms of uh, residential schools, I think there's there's going to be tons of docs coming out, and there's already quite a few that are that are out there now. Mm, that's, that's yeah, doesn't doesn't she just have a new one? about uh, Shannon's dream. 
I don't know um, what she's born. <laughs> the, woman's like, uh, the woman's like 500 years old and she has the energy of, uh, of, like, a, of like a four-year-old. It's, it's insane. It really is. If you meet her in person, like she'll, she'll uh, wear you out because she is just so full of energy. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy to see somebody as, uh, doing it as long as she has, as well as she has, and still kind of churn out like a movie a year. It's, it's crazy. It really is. And we're not talking about like, like Woody Allen, you know, just writing something, going to a set, you know, five blocks away from his house. I mean, mm-hmm. she's out in a field shooting documentaries at like 80 years old. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Rhymes for Young Goals. Maybe you could just tell the listeners a little bit about the plot of the film. It's basically about a young girl and her family and what they do to survive in the... Uh, in the shadow of uh, the Indian agent and the, the authority of the residential schools. Um, so she's selling drugs to kind of pay off uh, a truancy tax imposed on her by the Indian agent. And hijinks ensue. That's really putting it. If you, if you, well, you've seen the film, so I mean, it's it's kind of hard to describe because it's you almost need to break it down by act. You're, you're right, yeah. Talking about the the different aspects of the film. Now, a lot of people are, are kind of describing this as a revenge thriller. But when I saw it, I didn't really think of it as, as that. How, what is your take on, on when people say that this is a revenge movie? Do you, do you look at it that way? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of do because that's like the, uh, the denouement. That's like the final act, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is really just culminating to set up that, that final act. I... I wouldn't 100% know how to just tag the film. I mean, if you read some of the other reviews out there, I mean, that's one of the things people have been struggling with is, uh, you know, what, what do we call this film? Because, right. um, you know, I kind of based it on a lot of stuff. Uh, and some of those things were kind of revi- revenge uh, movies and some were like detective books. And there was like a lot of stuff in there. But uh, I, I would, if I needed to throw like an umbrella over it, it would probably be just like film noir. That's what I would call it. Mm. And mm. I think that's a general enough term. That's the general term <laughs> you can apply to so many different things when you don't know how to, you know, categorize it. But uh, I, I definitely think that's the engine behind the film. I mean, I don't know what the uh, theater you guys or what where you guys ended up seeing it, but when we first saw it, there was uh, the almost an applause when when Mark bites it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We, so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things that we were gunning for, like this huge, almost, uh, cathartic payoff of, of this guy. Now you, you had your fingers in pretty much everything to do with this movie. So you wrote it, you directed it, you did the editing, you did the music. How, how difficult was that, uh, transitioning into something of that scope from doing, like uh, short films and things like that. Well, we we I did that for all my shorts too. So it was just uh, on a longer timeline, of, essentially. And we knew. Well, we shot in uh, we shot in October, November. We honestly really didn't start uh, really working on it until the new year, and we knew that uh, we needed it done for September. So we had quite a decent timeline to do all the effects and the music and everything and um so to cut it uh that 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 was hard enough i mean uh we shoot pretty tight because we don't have a lot of money and there wasn't enough uh 
to get some of the storyline out there. So it was kind of like, okay, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> so the edit was it was quite a lot of work to massage some of those scenes together, like uh, the uh, the scene with uh, the party scene would be a good example. I mean, that was that was like edited within an inch of its life, and you know that was quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of work. I mean, we had planned it. The, the way we shot it and the way it came together, but still, I mean, uh, to get all those beats right with the music mm -hmm. and, um, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, there was different parts that uh, required different parts of my brain, but I find it's almost a relief when you finish one thing and start something else because um, you, you kind of need to keep moving so you don't have time to think you just have time to react and you're kind of going and going on your instinct and i think that's a really good place to create from particularly for music and we did the music in like four days so it was that that was really nothing it was more the edit that that was uh you know that took a while because we had to change some of the story and that that was uh what was hard editing a feature that was uh you know plus we were dealing with uh our funders and everybody has an opinion and you've got to respect it because right. that's their their dime so you gotta you gotta respect their opinion and we try to do that too and um you know if i had my way it would have been a little bit longer i, I would have liked to have hung out with the uh, old lady a little bit more but uh i think the pace of the film kind of works too it's 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 a bit relentless and i think it needs to be and uh it wasn't it wasn't hard at all it was kind of the aftermath of all right now it's done and now I have to switch gears and do it all over again because we don't we didn't make a ton of money on it so we had to we had to start writing something new like bam literally <laughs> it's kind of funny it was like picture lock and then it was sound lock and then it was like all right we have no more money for you Jeff <laughs> it was like literally the day after and I was like okay so we had to uh, I had to literally write something new and then submit it and and um it was it was the timing was pretty good that we we ended up getting another project off the ground, uh, so I have a roof over my head and I'm not panhandling or you know <laughs> juggling on the corner somewhere for dimes. Yeah, and I mean I think that the movie came together really nicely. I mean, like like you were saying with the editing, it it's a movie that jumps around in time as well. So you have a lot of uh, flashbacks and different pieces that kind of all fit together with the different family members, and I think that it all came together really nice that was actually uh the flashbacks were actually a much bigger uh, a much bigger piece because you 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 pick up popper's history from mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. right from when he's a baby being left at the residential school and then you know he he you, that's your first introduction to him and then you kind of there was supposed to be a, a little subplot where he has a crush on um on uh ayla's mom while she's there so joseph landing her turns out to be this thing and you know and then uh, we just found out we flat out did not have the money to shoot any of that stuff, so we ended up having to scrap it. Mm. I'm actually wondering if we should put the screenplay on the uh, the DVD. <laughs> Probably. That's that's always a bonus. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the other interesting thing. Switching from shorts to uh, features is this uh, switch from kind of being completely left on your own to having to answer to funders and distributors and you know, people constantly asking me to see the film and me being able, me not being able to say like, oh sure, but no, you have to talk to the, uh, you have to talk to the distributor. It's uh, it was an interesting switch. Um, I think it's uh, it's something any anybody's gonna have to contend with when you start 
making films on this level. Now I want to talk about the distributors actually, since you brought that up. Uh, so this is this is still playing in um, certain cities in Canada right now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And so you have a Canadian distributor. What about uh, people in the U.S. that want to see this? What can you give us any kind of status updates on that? As far as I know, there's a deal in place for uh, an online uh, an online deal. But in terms of theater release, uh, not that I know of. The only place that I know it's playing in the U.S. 100% for sure is the uh, Seattle International Film Festival. I'm actually going out there uh, at the end of May to support it. And there's a great program there that has kids make a make a short film from a guest uh, from a guest filmmaker and i'm i'm gonna be writing their their screenplay for their oh. short film i guess i think it's gonna be a horror film i guess that's what that's what they're asking me to do and i'm like have you seen my movies are you sure you want me you want me around kids yeah, <laughs> kids. they're like yeah, yeah no they're they're cool man they're older kids they're teens so i'm looking forward to that but i have no idea in terms of uh, uh a theater release i'm i'm you know i'm i'm pretty sure it'll hit some smaller festivals uh i'm not 100% sure I get like a like an email once every three months <laughs> giving me a festival update so <laughs> I think the person to probably talk to is uh, John mm. the producer who's who's in touch with, uh, with the distributor probably on a weekly basis so he probably knows more about what's gonna happen than I do well we're definitely gonna be keeping everybody updated on this because this is this is one that when I saw it I was like okay we gotta we gotta get behind this one and, sh and start trying to push it now as far as the u.s audiences go what do you think how do you think that they'll they'll receive it do you think that there's going to be some sort of like uh disconnect because it the the film takes place uh within the the history of what's going on in canada during this time do you think that people in the u.s are going to be confused about different things or how do you think that they'll receive it um, I'm not 100% sure because there's um, – you think about native people in the U.S. You, you think about guys on a prairie or, you know, you think about John Ford films. You don't think about, you know, you don't think about rivers or you don't necessarily think about the the kind of East Coast Indians. Uh, John Ford made a particular kind of Indian famous. And I have a – you know, from looking from the outside in at the, the kind of industry, you, you have a – you, you kind of see there's a little bit of a tendency to drift more towards that Southwest mm -hmm. uh, style of Indian. Um, there was a movie called Frozen River a few years back that kind of uh, focused a little bit more on the East Coast uh, Indians, the Mohawks uh, in New York. But I've never seen anything in terms of like the, the any kind of East Coast tribe. I remember you guys in the, uh, the interview saying you've never heard of Micmac. You know where you could have heard of Micmac before, honestly? Um, Pet Cemetery. Uh, oh. The, the Micmac burial ground in Pet Cemetery. You're right. I just Stephen remembered King. that. Stephen King is uh, from Maine. So that's, that's our stomping ground, the Maine area, the... Um, the kind of uh, Nova Scotia, all the kind of eastern seaboard were littered with uh, Micmacs and Passamaquoddy. Anyway, so he he, he decided to use <laughs> us. And uh, there's another movie, I think by Marcus Nisbo, called Pathfinder, where uh -huh. the natives there are actually speaking Micmac. And that would have been 
the only thing he got right in that film. Uh, yeah, I was just <laughs> gonna say that. Unfortunately, that movie wasn't very good. <laughs> I was so looking forward to it too, and because uh, a friend of mine was in it, and I was like, "Oh, cool, we're using a big budget film," and it was just like. I had to watch it and fast forward, and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I will say that uh, the the supporters of this film are very vocal. They uh, they kind of went after us on Facebook for being. <laughs> they called us dude bros. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that, and I was like, I've heard that term in my life, and I was just like, it, it's immediately made its way into my vernacular. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's one good thing about that. <laughs> Let me just go on the record saying that Kevin and I are the furthest thing from dude bros you could ever get. <laughs> I think uh, she's being, uh, uh, I don't know, a little bit reactionary towards a film she probably feels strongly about. So, I, I guess. But it was, uh, I, I just kind of laughed it off. <laughs> yeah, well, we did too, because it's, it's funny. But, I mean, but it really just does go to show that this, this subject matter in your movie is, is something completely new. And th this is what interested us from the beginning is when I was watching it, I was just like, holy shit, like I never knew about any of this stuff. This isn't something that's taught. So I think f for no other reason, this is a movie that should be should be watched by everybody that can get their hands on it. But at the same time, like you said, it's fiction. So it's entertaining, too, you know. Yeah, we we set out to make like a roadhouse. We set out to make a, like yeah, a Conan yeah. the Barbarian. We didn't like we knew the politics were in there, so we didn't like oh, we we weren't gonna have any. Uh, I always refer to them as once we were warrior speeches. If you ever seen that film, mm -hmm. once we were warriors, and it's it's kind of badass, and then it ends on this note where she gives him basically this soliloquy about the the pride of her people, and it was uh, well, I, they lost me anyway. Put it that way. So I didn't want to put any of those preachy politics in there. I just wanted it to be kind of a, almost a, a ridiculous roadhouse movie, honestly, with my my Patrick Swayze, my uh, <laughs> my my Arnold Schwarzenegger being this you know five foot uh, young native girl, and <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yes, uh, it does. It's it's interesting that it worked, but it's it's not like we reinvented a formula. We we kind of stole from really uh, you can almost call them grindhouse movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can almost call it an exploitation film. Really, we just are, it's like all right, we're gonna throw nudity and violence and ridiculousness in there, and kind of wrap it up. And it is and violent. This, yeah, you, the the kind of mass this uh, political vehicle of uh, this story and. The only uh, drawback that the only hesitation I really had was, um, are we going to run the risk of turning it into a, a parody or or kind of undermining the issue? And uh, when I saw that that uh, the first mock-up of the CGI for the the grave, that that dream sequence for the grave, I was like, okay, I think I think we got our point across. <laughs> I was actually quite disturbed when I saw it mm -hmm. because uh, when I got it, it was like a 4K mock-up, so I could really zoom in right. to see right. literally see how how much detail they put into the bodies, and you could see these dead kids' faces, and it was really 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 quite disturbing. And um, the idea that it really happened is. Uh, Stranger than fiction. Well, I think it turned out great. It looks great, and if anybody listening, if you can get, if you can get your hands on it, if you can see it some way, please do. I uh, just wanted to ask one final question: what What do you have coming down the pipe? What do you got going on next? We're doing a couple of films. One is just going to be a straight up horror film. Yes. Uh, that's that's probably going to be next on the the docket, uh, and I'm writing. 
a television series and I'm writing um, I'm writing a, uh, an, a a kind of cyberpunk sci-fi film uh, that revolves around another huge issue around here and that's the uh, the, the pipeline the fracking oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. um, the there's this rash of, of disappearing native women somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, eight eight hundred women have gone missing over the course of the past couple of decades and uh, there's obviously well they actually caught a serial killer a few years ago that was you know chopping up this uh, chopping up chopping up hookers and, and feeding them to his pigs that's another story you probably <laughs> coming out of Vancouver another nice Canadian tale and and uh, that kind of got swept under the rug so that's uh that's turning into a pretty pretty big deal here because if uh if those women were were non-native i i think people would be up in arms it would be like national news right, yeah yeah but because it's uh they're native women um nobody has said anything and people have kind of been making a public outcry like you need to have an inquiry about why there's a mass murderer out there and nobody's doing anything about it and they said it would be too expensive and then they turned around and they dropped like uh, almost a hundred million on trying to curb the smuggling ring going on in the uh, Mohawk community, which is actually what Frozen River is about. So if you want some history there, <laughs> go go read that movie. But um, I think just more crazy movies, honestly. I think my favorite films are like the old boys, the kind of pulp fictions, you know, the 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 crazy narratives. Uh, bogged down in like real moments uh, i think guys like tarantino and um the films like old boy i mean they really they really do that well and that's one of the things that i try to do is create these hyperbolic obviously cinematic moments and and bog them down in these really kind of harsh realistic things and i think that's basically what i'm going to keep trying to do and i'm going to try to inject uh, all all the the kind of seriousness of 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 really great storylines into really crazy stories uh i like exploitation films i like crazy movies and i think those are the type of films that i want to make but at the same time i think art needs to be a vehicle for real real messages and and it sounds naive and it sounds a little bit uh a bit ridiculous but i think uh, our job as artists is to really to really try to make people better and see see the world in a in a better light or at least in a light that kind of makes it makes it so that they want to make it better and i think drawing attention to the residential school scandals and the, the history there i think turns the culture that we live in into a better place to be because it makes sure that it never happens again a and b it, it kind of puts the state of first nations people in a context and I think these are good things. As ridiculous as it say, as it sounds to say, the things that happened in that film led to good things. I think it's true. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And uh, next to Cronenberg, I can't wait to see what else you have uh, bringing bring across Canada's dark side for us. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. The very first review I ever got uh, when I was like 25. Uh, that's uh, this person they compared me to, Cronenberg. It's uh, it's it's it keeps popping up, and it's because he's one of the only Canadian filmmakers that anybody down here knows about. <laughs> That's why. Well, uh, the director of the uh, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, who's from Quebec. Oh yeah. Uh, there's Denis Villeneuve, uh, who did the uh, Jake. Uh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, of course, uh, Ryan, and uh, that's really it. Unless you count Cameron, uh, 
And can we can we count Cameron? <laughs> I, I don't think so. No. I, I think at this point, well, it's interesting if you put in the context of Avatar in a in a First Nations context. I mean, oh yeah, it's, mm-hmm. he, he couldn't have grown up in Ontario and not known about the conflicts between uh, the Mohawk there and the Ontario government. He couldn't have. There's just no way he he would have had to have lived in a cave. So he uh, he. How you're... He would have had to have uh, at least heard something, and he, even if he didn't, uh, there's like the 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 Oka crisis, which made international news. So there's no way he didn't hear about that. So well, there's definite uh, there's definite. Well, that means Kevin has to see Avatar now. I know. Now you're making <laughs> Avatar seem interesting. He, ba- he basically, well, he basically stole the storyline from uh, from Dances with Wolves. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, no, he did. Great T-shirt, great T-shirt of uh, the Pandora. Uh, whatever the hell they're called, the Mari or uh, Navi, the, or Navi, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a uh, it's a, a mock-up of the Redskins logo. It says uh, Pandora Blueskins. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, no, Cameron doesn't count. You can have <laughs> in summation, Cameron doesn't count. <laughs> well, Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with us. No, I'm uh, I'm extremely looking forward to the idea of you doing a horror movie and a cyberpunk movie so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep my eye out for those and i'm really excited about that um you can actually find uh, a, a short science fiction film i did on uh, youtube um if anybody cares <laughs> we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes what's the title uh file under miscellaneous it's uh it's on youtube somewhere um we'll find it and put a link it's it's kind of a weird version though it's like uh it's cut cut to screen time because i know our film is like eight nine minutes and that one's seven so i don't know what's <laughs> up with that but uh it's out there there's there's other things out there on um on the net that i've done um and hopefully at some point we'll release a dvd of all my shorts i've been talking about it for like years and it hasn't happened but at some point i think somebody will do it <laughs> very cool very cool jeff thanks man. thanks so much thanks. Thank you. Thanks again, Jeff. Be sure to check out Rhymes for Young Ghouls when it comes out sometime later this year. All right, let's jump into some of what we've been watching. Uh, I don't remember. We can just start with you, Kevin, because I don't. I don't remember who we started it with last week. I think it was me. Okay, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Darkness by Day. It's a sort of vampire movie from Martin DeSalvo, and this is this is what you you would call a no burn. This is oh. a no burn. This gotta is love, a no burner. Kind of love the no burns, which apparently is, I guess, the thing to do with vampires now. Because much like um, only lovers left alive, it's just sort of nothing. Just vampires hanging out. And in this one, you don't really know if they are vampires. So it starts out with <clears throat> this woman. Her her niece comes to visit. She's sick. She shows up. And they keep sort of alluding to it, but never actually coming out and saying that she's a vampire. They just they just sort of give you these hints that something's going on in the village. And they sort of tie it to maybe it's rabies. Maybe it's them turning into vampires. You don't know. But her niece always seems to leave in the middle of the night, out through the window, and just hangs out in the forest that's around there and apparently killing animals and whatnot, but they never really show that. They just sort of hint at it. Mm. And, uh, 
That's about it. I mean, honestly, the main character, Virginia, just, she takes a lot of naps. It's just her napping. Napping it up. <laughs> just napping. <laughs> and, the, you know, and then she has, like, sort of, I don't know if they're dreams or, I'm guessing they're dreams during her naps where she has dreams about vampirism. And it just, it really goes nowhere. And it's disappointing because, like, the atmosphere that DeSalvo builds with this film is fantastic. I mean, the cinef- cinematography from Nicholas Trovato is, it's beautiful. And that's what first drew me in watching the trailer. I was like, oh my God, this is a horror movie with, like, beautiful cinematography. This is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. But they just really, they don't really do anything with it. And it just, I mean, I don't really... You know, we've talked about it before. I don't really care about story, but Jesus, when you have like absolutely nothing, it's just, it's a tough watch. And the thing is, it's only like 70 some minutes, mm. but it felt like two hours. And at one point, I, you know, me and my wife were watching and I'm thinking, man, nothing has happened. I wonder how much we have left with this thing. And it was like 18 minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jesus. Uh, nice. Uh, one, I'm I'm excited for a girl walks home alone at night. I think that that is going to be a really visually pleasing vampire yeah, there, film. There's a couple of horror films that I'm pretty excited about. I was excited about this one and I was let down, but I still have the one that you just mentioned, uh, the Babadook. I really want to see. Yeah, and see that's that's one of the only horror movies that I missed at Sundance. Mm. So I was I was kind of pissed about that. Yeah, there's there's still a couple, there's still a couple that I'm I'm holding out for. Yeah, there's a couple that are uh, coming out this year that I'm holding out for too. Uh, I saw a bunch of horror movies that I that I can't really recommend that I wasn't <laughs> holding out for. Uh, this week I watched. Uh, I guess I started last week, uh, but it bled into this week. I watched the Puppet Master series. So there's like ten of these and. <laughs> They progressively get worse to the point where I honestly couldn't watch the last few. So I was unable to complete the whole series. Oh, wow. After the fourth one, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I got through the fourth one and the fifth. And I think maybe the sixth is where I was like, all right, I'm just eventually it just gets there's one of them called puppet master the legacy and all it is is clips of the previous puppet master movies oh, it's like that one sleepaway camp movie where it's just, all it is is clips from the other ones wow uh, so that's horrible i don't understand why that exists uh but I, I will say that the puppet master movies like the first uh maybe three or even part four to a lesser extent are are not bad like they're pretty decent like the first two are set in modern time and they are just about these these puppets that have come to life through this ancient Egyptian magic and they're not necessarily in the first two they're kind of bad but they eventually turn good it depends on the owner of the puppets whether they're good or bad mm-hmm. and in the third one the third one is a prequel that goes over the the life of the creator of the puppets and basically it's like this nazi hunting movie he he gets he makes the puppets and he gets them to hunt nazis which is all right yeah it's pretty fun it's a pretty fun one uh from there kind of goes downhill the the fourth one 
they enter in this weird realm of these like demons and there's this like really bad these really bad costumed demons in it and it just looks so ridiculous it looks like something out of uh power rangers or something oh jeez. so i'd say from the fourth one on they they get progressively worse there's one that's puppet master versus demonic toys and that's with uh, Corey feldman stars in it okay and that was a sci-fi channel <laughs> movie oh wow so you can imagine the thing the thing that it that made me wonder though is I don't understand how you be you can become a worse actor. Like, how does that happen? How do you get worse? Drugs. Maybe drugs. Because Corey Feldman substance abuse. Because even when Corey Feldman got a little bit older, like in the Burbs, for instance, he was older in that movie, but he was still fine. Like he was still a decent actor, and then all of a sudden. It's like he's doing these weird voices, and it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> so I, I, I do love the fact that the Puppet Master, the Legacy poster or whatever cover says, now the legacy can be told, yeah. which, which is funny because you're saying that it's just clips, so it sounds like it's already been told. It's already been told. <laughs> it's already been told. And there are two that I didn't watch at all that I've just flat out did not oh, watch. Shit. I thought the, you were a professional. And those are the two newer ones. I think it's called like Axis of Evil and something else. <laughs> I hope that's what it's called. Puppet Master. Something else. Yeah, it's. I think it's called Axis Rising. Ooh. They both... I think that both of those take place in World War II. A lot of the movie takes place in World War II. Uh, in Retro Puppet Master... <laughs> I can't even I can't even talk about it. It, it it's some of the worst acting I've ever seen. It's completely terrible. There was even one scene where this the, the this guy's friend gets killed and they show him laying dead on a set of stairs and his eyes are blinking. Because <laughs> it's like what, you couldn't just edit that out? You you did not see the guy's eyes blinking. Oh jeez. It's ah, it's terrible, it. but I will say that the first three are fun, and the like the stop motion animation and the puppet work is pretty good, and the and the puppets themselves are interesting. Like they all have their own little abilities, and they're they're creative looking. But the series as a whole, man, it it gets bad. Like I can watch all the Friday the Thirteenth, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, and yeah, they get bad too, but. Not quite to this level. <laughs> I think Hellraiser was another one that I tried to get through. And like towards the end, I was just like, nope. Can't do it. So, yeah. If wow. if you want to visit this, this <clears throat> series. And then I also found that there's all these crossovers that happen. So I mentioned Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. But if you want to get like the true uh universe or whatever you have to kind of see all the demonic toys movies and then those actually cross over with another series called doll man which is about this like space traveler who's he's he's like miniature sized (laughs) oh my god and i haven't seen those so please in summation do not watch do not watch any of the puppet master movies except maybe the first three Mm, that's surprising no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not how I saw that playing out. One interesting thing, 
the one director, and I can't remember his name, but he goes by like four different names and he always uses pseudonyms when he directs. <laughs> oh God, that's always a good sign. Yeah. Wow. So cross puppet master. Yeah, the his name, of... the, the guy is, his name's David Decotu or something like that. And he goes by like all these different names. Well, that sounds awful. And he also directed a series of movies that I never heard of called 1313. And you should you should look at these oh, movies. Oh, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think I've actually heard about these. <laughs> you need to I... look, look these bad boys up. My favorite, think... my favorite one that I want to see is called, uh, what is it? It's called like 1313. It's like killer bee swarm. Giant yes. killer bees. Yes, yes, yes. There was a guy on... I remember a guy on Letterboxd watched all the 1313 movies, and I was I was watching that play out on Letterboxd. I don't know why someone would put themselves through that. Yeah, I mean they did. I, I watch a lot of bad series, like horror series, but 1313 is one that I don't think I could ever sit through. They made three of them in 2012. Yeah, there's. I don't understand what they're all about. Are they like softcore porn movies or something? I don't know. It's like, like yeah, like every single cover is just like four dudes shirtless dudes. <laughs> Shirt a lot of shirtless dudes. I mean, there's the haunted frat. There's wicked stepbrother. Cougar cult. Night of the Weed. Tribal. UFO invasion. Man. Bigfoot Island. Gotta keep this. Gotta keep this on tap for Ryan. Yeah. Thirteen thirteen special. Absolutely. Uh, oh my god unbelievable that shit exists <laughs> which on a side note I just <clears throat> found out about a movie this week which I, I didn't think that this existed I thought it was definitely a joke Did you have you heard about this animated movie called Food Fight mm, I don't think so okay sounds familiar it, it looks like it's the worst movie that's ever existed in the world it is there. I actually found apparently there's a live stream of Food Fight that plays 24 <laughs> seven, so you can look that up. So I was like, okay, you know, everyone's just reviewing this thing and talking about how awful it is, and the the most bizarre aspect of it is it costs like 65 million dollars to make, and it involves like food brand mascots, Twinkie, yeah, Stark, uh, what's Starkiss? Yep. The- it looks like, yeah, it's that, like, the, the Velasic pickle, pelican, whatever. Mm-hmm. Aunt Jemima. <laughs> so, Charlie Sheen plays a dog detective that's the size of a human for some reason. And so, I just, we, we got to get Ryan to watch this at some point. Because I turned it on, that, you know, live stream 24-7. And it looks, the animation looks like a PlayStation 1. I'm watching the. Uh, I'm actually watching the trailer right now, and yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like to me, it can't be real. This cannot be real, but apparently it is. Oh, there's Chester, Chester Cheetahs in it. I, I don't understand. I don't get it. How did this happen? It does. It, lo- it does look like a video game. That's what I've, it looks like. I've never been so confused in my life. I might have to watch this. Y- you have to. You have to. <laughs> I, I. I honestly, I don't. I don't get it. I've never been more confused in my life. But anyway, so I didn't watch that, luckily. And I don't think I ever will, because I don't think I would survive it. I think I would die at some point. 
But I did watch uh, M. Hulo's Holiday. Mr. Mr. Tati, the sophisticated slapstick director. This is his 1953. It's his first, sort of the, your first introduction to Mr. Hulo. Sla- and sophisticated slapstick. Seems like an so- oxymoron. Yes, this is, it's it's bizarre. Um, like, I thought it would be, you know, a nice, light, fun film, full of sight gags, you know, some slapstick humor, that type of thing. But, I mean, honestly, for the most part of this movie, nothing happens. It's just him taking a holiday, beachside, and he gets him to do some crazy antics, man. <laughs> and it's just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's humor from 1953. I don't know if it's because it's French humor or French slapstick. I mean, I already don't like slapstick that much to it's begin probably with. all of those things. All of those things put together, but my God, I just, it was honestly just me sitting on the couch with like the most stern looking look on my face, just not laughing once. It did the opposite. It did the opposite of making me laugh. It made you more serious. (laughs) I just, I honestly just sat there and I was, I just kept looking at my watch. Like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to end? And I don't want to tear it down too much because it you know it's sort of it does feel like an introduction to this character which has for whatever reason maybe i'll find out in future films like playtime and traffic and stuff but it's it's just i can't get behind it i can't get behind it at all and i'm hoping it gets better because like i said it does it feels very the film as a whole is like very episodic where it just goes from like one side gag to another, and it's just sort of like it feels like he's doing like a dry run with this character, like just it's like a sizzle reel almost. Like mm-hmm. this is what I can do, and then hopefully maybe he'll develop it into like an actual character with the with the rest of the films, which I'm guessing he had to because they're I mean they're classics. So I'm hoping that I'm not completely confused as to understanding why people love this. But man, I could not. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't take it. Hmm. And there's there's a one point where he's he's like he's out on a boat, you know, just a little one man boat paddling paddling out in the ocean, and it snaps in half, and it looks like a mouth, and it's just slapping like a mouth for like two three minutes, and like everyone on the beach freaks out and thinks it's a shark, and I'm just like, how the fuck do you think that's a shark? It doesn't look anything like a shark. How is that funny? <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking get this. Why is this funny? It sounds like a winner. No, no, it's not. It's, it's so unbelievably boring. I saw one that's, it's not boring, but it's not a winner either. This is 1992's Free Jack. Free, Free Jack. Free Jack, starring Emilio Estevez, Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. Rene Russo, Anthony okay. Hopkins. Wow. Buster Point Dexter. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, Jerry Hall uh, and uh, Jonathan Banks, who is from he's a character actor from he's on the new season of Community and he was in Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is kind of a it's a cyberpunk thriller, pretty much exactly like Total Recall in a lot of ways. Like it's it's about Emilio Estevez. It takes place in like 1991 and then he gets transported into 2009, and he's a race car driver. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. So he's, he's a race car driver that is about to get into a fatal accident. And just before his car blows up and smashes into a, like a concrete bridge, um, he gets transported to 2009 so that Anthony Hopkins can inhabit his body. So the, there's some time travel going on. There's some crazy computer personality, mind melding things happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mick right. Jagger plays this <clears throat> agent that is tasked with recovering Emilio Estevez after he gets transported into the future and take taking him to Anthony Hopkins to complete the transplant, memory transplant or whatever. Rene Russo plays the girlfriend. It's ridiculous. Wow, this just sounds this sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's really bad. Like it's it's not very exciting. There's some action scenes that are pretty boring and if, there's like lasers. I think like for some reason in the early 90s and in the 80s like laser grids were all his they're big laser grids. <laughs> oh, laser grids. Yeah, so there's a lot of laser work going on. A lot of is it good laser work? No, not really. No. I mean, it's okay. It's not. It's not how terrible. Do you, how do you fuck up laser grids? There's some cool stuff. I mean, it's takes place in this kind of dystopian future, and there's all these like crazy futuristic cars. But the funny thing is, it's only ten years into the future, so it's like wow, a lot changed in ten years. <laughs> Oh my god. It's like you're living in this crazy future. Only a decade has passed and we have since invented time travel and crazy futuristic cars and laser grids. Being able to inhabit other people's bodies. Yeah. Melting your mind together through the laser grid. Do you have to do it through the laser grid? No, How it's does like the laser a... grid play a part. Oh, what's, it's what's it's, the function of the laser grid? It's stupid. <laughs> There's there's lasers everywhere. It's a, it's <laughs> Just a, lasers. It's a future where lasers are everywhere. <laughs> I think maybe like the, once that technology, like the technology of laser pointers, came about, they they just wanted to use it in movies because they're like, shit, we got these laser pointers. Now. <laughs> we got to do something with these lasers. We put so much work into these lasers, and then they find, you know they realize that you can't really do anything with them besides you know annoy the shit out of people entertain cats yeah and well, make laser grids for movies either way it is not a very enjoyable movie and i can't recommend it oh that's a bummer there's one movie that i can recommend but i don't want to talk about too much because you haven't seen it yet so i'm gonna wait yeah and I, I, do plan on, yeah, because, I do plan on trying to see it this week because this is definitely a movie that we can get into some discussion and that's enemy jake Hall playing two guys Meets his doppelganger. Holy shit. This is an insane movie. Now, without giving anything away, because I don't want to know anything at all, but... Well, I'm um, not going to answer your question, then. But it, well, anyways. the only thing I was thinking is when... It, it sounds like it's kind of similar to that new Jesse Eisenberg, the Richard Aote movie, the double. Mm. Is it kind of the same premise, at least at the beginning? Could be. Okay. Don't I'm not know. exactly sure I didn't see... And see that one. This was uh, based on the Jose Saramago novel, The Double. So I don't know. Have you know anything about that novel? Mm, no. Okay. He's the guy that wrote uh, Blindness. 
Remember mm-hmm. that movie with the... Oh, I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Same guy I wrote that. Uh, definitely, definitely one of Hall's best performances, I think. Cinematography is outstanding. The atmosphere, the tension. I mean, you're just... I was completely fascinated the entire time because they just sort of drop you in. And like right off the bat, it's just weirdness straight from the get-go. And then you've got to try and figure out what the hell's going on. And it's got one of the best endings. I fucking love the ending. Yeah, Ernie reviewed it for the site. He gave it a seven and a half out of ten. What are you what are you gonna give it? I'm giving it like an eight. Nice. Very good. I just I can't wait to I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'll definitely see it this week because I don't have a whole lot on my plate. Uh just wait until the end. Yeah, I've been here a lot of people have been saying things about the end. Uh I saw Oculus this week. Well, how was this? I liked it. Uh, you know, I, I gave it a three and a half on Letterboxd. I think I gave it like a seven on the site. And I've I've warmed on it or cooled on it, I should say. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh you got me excited there. I was like, no, I, I was thinking you're going to bump it up to like an eight or no, something. I'm sorry, I cooled on it a little bit. It's, oh, it's, still, it's still worth seeing, though. I think that it just came out at a very unfortunate time. <clears throat> that's really what it boils down to i mean we've we've seen so many movies like this these supernatural horror movies uh that it just feels even though they bring some new ideas to the table and they do some really interesting things with this movie it just it still feels kind of played out i mean this is a mm-hmm. this is a Bloomhouse production so it's the same producers behind that, that did Insidious and The Conjuring and all, all of these other big supernatural thrillers. Uh, but the interesting thing is it's not that scary. The reason that this movie works is because of how kind of mind-bending it is, where the premise is about this mirror that can basically make you hallucinate and you, you have no grip on reality. And that kind of opens opens the door for a lot of really interesting things because as a viewer you're never really sure what you're watching if it's if it's real or if it's not if what they're experiencing and what we're seeing is what's really happening in their reality or if it's all a figment of their imagination so it it kind of does some really interesting things with that and it also does some interesting things with flashbacks where there is uh, the two main characters there was something terrible that happened to them when they were kids involving the mirror and it flashes back and forth between what happened then and what's happening now. So rather than like just showing an entire flashback from beginning to end, uh, as what's happening in the past is playing out, what's happening in their present is also playing out. So it's like almost two narratives that are happening concurrently with one another. So it's, it's interesting in that regard, but also we're seeing it, but they're reliving it. So part of what happens to them and what the mirror does to them is it, it turns them into like the the child versions of themselves. So like they're re- reliving part of this uh, tragic event that took place, but then like they'll it'll pull out of it, and it's so it's really kind of twisty and fun, and you know it's light on the scares, but at the same time it's really entertaining. So I, I would recommend it. And the light bulb scene is awesome. Light bulb scene. Yeah. So I enjoyed it because I didn't know where it was going. You know, it's like one of those things where it's, it's 
keeps you on your feet. You don't know how this movie's gonna how this movie's gonna go, and it it ends. I, I liked the ending too. I mean, I'm not gonna give anything away, but it goes. It, it ends it, in a way that I didn't expect fully. Okay, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Because that's sort of the problem with a lot of these horror movies nowadays. Yeah, they, but. They sort of follow that same formula, yeah. and that's what and, I was worried about with Oculus. The only thing is, I, I did like the ending, but there are certain beats of that formula that are in there. Like they leave it, they purposely leave it open to sequels, and oh, you know yeah. that's that's one thing. It's like this movie seems to be built for a franchise, and it's it looks great. It's got solidly directed. Mike Flanagan did it, and he did a Absentia, which. I wasn't a fan of, but that movie was like a huge cult hit. Uh, like everybody talks about that on Letterboxd, hmm. but I didn't like it. But either way, I still recommend checking it out. If for no other reason, just to support these smaller independent horror movies that somehow managed to get a nationwide release. So is this something that let's say in like 10 years, you're going to be doing the Oculus like the next, <laughs> you're gonna be going through like the seven. No, I tend to only do that to older movies. Like I don't, like I, I don't uh, see myself watching, like going back and watching all the paranormal activities or no, the Saw movies. Wait. Can't wait until you're in your late forties. Yeah, I might. Going, I might going through the <laughs> Oculus series. Oh God. Yeah, don't see that happen. Uh, I look forward to it. Uh, that's that's really all I want to talk about. That's all I have as well. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into our first review. This week, we're going to be talking about Nothing Bad Can Happen. Now, this is a festival movie. It's going to be coming out later this year. Drafthouse Films is releasing it. And it played played a bunch of fests over uh, last year. And it's a German film directed by Katrine Gibb. I do have a synopsis here. The young Tor seeks in Hamburg a new life among the religious group called the Jesus Freaks. When he by accident meets a family and helps them to repair their car, he believes that a heavenly wonder has helped him. He starts a friendship with the father of the family, Benno. Soon he moves in with them at their garden plot, not knowing what cruelty is there to come. Uh, I think that was a Google Translate. But either way, it's a, yeah, it sounds like it. Either way, I will say that I I loved this movie. I did as well. Uh, and is it I I I didn't really know a lot about this movie going in, so admittedly I was a bit stereotypical. It was it's called Nothing Bad Can Happen, and it's German, so I just figured that it's just terrible things happening (laughs) throughout like that's immediately what i thought and i feel bad for thinking that but at the same time i was right of course Uh, of course it's called nothing bad can happen you would you immediately assume that terrible things are going to happen all all kinds of bad can happen and do so yeah the trailer was released for this a while ago i don't know if draft house actually put out their own trailer because i know that they like to do their own trailers I don't know if it was like the actual draft house trailer, but um, so I, I had an idea. But if I remember correctly, they never show you anything that happens in the trailer. So it's it's all a big surprise. And like the synopsis says, so it's about this kid who 
is obsessed with Jesus, but in kind of a different way. It's not like what you would think. You know, he's kind of against the a lot of aspects of religion. He's actually just a really, really nice guy. A bit overly so. Like a yeah. bit too naive it, where he, to the point where he gets taken advantage of yeah, and it, very easily. But he just thinks that he's being a great, wonderful person. It's like they're it's like his group is is anti-religious but pro Jesus. It's like that they don't necessarily have to follow everything that the Bible teaches, but they try to mirror their own lives by Jesus. Yeah. And I would say that's about right. So basically it's like just a group that is they're just trying to be the best people that they can be. And yeah. when he sees this person with their their car, this family with their car broke down he helps them by some miracle get their car started and then the the father kind of takes this kid under his wing and i don't know like i don't know how much we should give away of what happens terrible things happen to this kid absolutely increasingly increasingly so and that's the part that try that sort of got me a little bit because there's there's some hinting at you know benno the father being like this to begin with but it's not out in the open that he's like this malicious person that's abusive but you get the sense that that he probably was but then it just it keeps escalating with tor and i don't know if it's just like him like at first it's him sort of trying to show his dominance because you know he sort of gets upset with tor anytime he does something nice and people are like happy with him and not happy with benno and then and then it almost gets gets to the point where it turns into this like game where Benno's just like testing him yeah <clears throat> which tour is actually thinking that's what happens he thinks that god has sent him a test in the form of Benno and that he has to be strong and overcome this and that's that's one thing that i was never a hundred percent clear on of what Benno's intentions were if he intended to be do this to this kid from the beginning when he took him in, or if that's something that developed over time, because at first it seems like he's genuinely trying to help Tor, but then mm-hmm. it seems like he quickly grow, grows very resentful of him. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's like he's just he just hates his face. It's like he just hates everything about this kid. He sure does. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because you can look it into it numerous different ways you can read into it and which was i think the the highest point of praise for for the director is she handles so many different themes in this film i mean you got religion you have faith you have crisis of faith i mean you have coming of age in there you have sacrifice i mean there's so many different themes that you're working with here and usually when you try and pack all that in to one film it sort of gets a bit, you know, muddled, or perhaps it comes off a little bit heavy-handed. But I never thought that with this no. movie. I never got that vibe. I thought everything was handled perfectly. No, and there's also this uh, really deep kind of familial drama that's happening as well, because the family—it's not just a husband and wife; they have kids also. So yeah. we we see what's happening and their relationship with each other, and it's kind of a weird family. I mean, like the. The whole time, yeah, like, what's going on with this family? They're a bit odd, but he ends up taking. He sees it as you know, God has sent him 
this right. test he, that he has to protect the the daughter of the family from Benno. So in a sense, he does he does a good job of it because he does take all the attention off of Sani, the the daughter. It's just it's unfortunate how that attention is taken off of her and what it manifests itself as. And of course, because it's awful. Yeah, the, the the wife is also kind of the. Uh, stereotypical battered woman who you know is kind of helpless in this relationship but she also kind of blindly supports everything her husband does and the weird thing is she actually gets a little worse with it yeah and and benno does yeah which was shocking i did not see that coming yeah that's that's the crazy thing about it she she does some terrible things i mean one of the hardest scenes i don't think it's a giant spoiler but one of the toughest scenes for me was the chicken scene yes you will i i threw up in my mouth a little i mean bit. just that whole that whole sequence i was just like oh my god this is so awful is, yeah that is terrible absolutely terrible uh but it great i mean insanely well acted like the the kid that plays tour that Julius Feldmeyer. Holy shit. He was... That guy guy killed it continuously. I mean, he shows pretty much like every single emotion that one can. And you just liked him. I mean, he was just such a likable guy. There was like not a malicious bone in his body. He was just, he was pure. And I think that, you know, and it's funny because it kind of, everything gets set up and we know that the way things are going that very first night that he's with Benno and Benno takes off the shirt and he has that devil tattoo on his back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, yeah, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know what we're getting into here. Uh, but it's, cinematography wise, uh, I take it that you, you were probably into, into the, into I was, it. I, I was a fan. I mean, it's not groundbreaking by any stretch, but I think it does perfectly capture what tour is going through at the time. You know, like when Tour's like really happy, he's full of childlike wonder, you know, he's dancing around and everything. The camera sort of does the same thing, focuses on the trees and the wind rustling and all those things. And then when it gets down to, you know, like you mentioned, the chicken scene, it's just static camera close up on his face, just in there building the tension. And I think it just perfectly captured everything that it needed to. It was never too showy. No, I agree. Uh, one thing I did notice, and this isn't, I didn't really have a problem with this, tons of back-of-the-head tracking shots. Yeah. I mean, like, There's like 25 of minutes of this movie is just the camera following the back of his head as he's walking somewhere. Yeah. But it, yeah. it didn't bother me. It was just something that I noticed. What's well, indie. It, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's definitely an indie. And I did. The thing that surprised me the most, well, two things. Number one is Julius Feldmeyer, who plays Tor. I thought, like, oh, he has to be, you know, an actor that's been in a ton of movies by now. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's like a, a German movie star, but he's done like four films, maybe three, four films, which completely surprised me. And then also the director, Captain Cuba. I thought, I thought, well, this has got to be like her fourth or fifth film, but this is a, this is a debut. Yeah. Which has me extremely excited to see what happens in the future. I think that yeah, she's got a very a very bright future because I really think that this this is this could be this year's like bullhead for for Draft House films. I feel like this could be an Oscar contender 
for foreign language. I hope so. And and in, another thing is, you know, we sort of, you know, we've made fun of a little bit, poked a little fun at all the religious movies that are coming out. Now, this is a deeply religious movie that I had no qualms with at all. No, and uh, I thought it was I thought it was a beautiful representation right. of someone living a religious life. And some some foreshadowing of Ryan's episode this week. Um, in that we said that it's it's all about the content, you know, and, and how these movies are made. And I, I like I don't think that there's any kind of issue with faith-based movies. And I'm not talking about just Christian movies either. I mean any any kind of faith-based movie. It's the problem with some of those movies, like God's Not Dead, is it's just how they're made. They're just shitty. They're just bad, you know. Yeah. But you you can have a movie that is very <clears throat> deeply religious, like this movie, and it's just it's so effective. Yeah, because you get like, another thing that we didn't mention that you got to keep in mind is well, I don't know if I want to say that that might spoil some things. The whole uh, epilepsy angle. Yeah. Yes. So, which was, uh, I, I think it's a, a fantastic movie. I'm hoping that, like, I don't know what the release schedule is. They, I don't even think that they announced the date yet, but it will be out at some point this year. I'm hoping that it'll get like uh, a VOD and theatrical release. Be nice. Sometimes, I don't know, like, sometimes with Draft House films, they switch it up. Like, for certain movies, they really push the theatrical uh, release, and this may be one of those. So it may yeah. be a while before it hits VOD. It should. I mean, the only I only had one problem with it, and that was the, when things start to escalate with the way they treat tour. And there's, uh, I think you know what I'm talking about when they end up yeah. taking them to a certain place. I thought that that was a bit over the top. I don't think they needed to go that far. It was pretty extreme. Like I, yeah. It, when that happened, I was like, how can he not be? Uh, protesting this at this point you know like the other yeah. stuff uh, okay i can kind of understand he believes he's being tested but th- there gets to a point where you're just like how is he not standing up to this like this is insane and the only reason i can think is because you know gets benno out of the house and hopefully it's a time where sandy can run away yeah and he's uh, he's that's like the only thing that can make me slightly understand why he's going along with this yeah i mean he's constantly just trying to draw attention away but it, it makes me wonder what their their home life was like before he was that's involved. that's what i'm wondering it's a fair... you know it, it it gives you this they sort of hint at it that ben has always been like this but i, I don't know yeah it's, it's tough and i mean the the ending was pretty epic as well i would say yeah that was just brutal. pretty pretty insane so Highly recommend it. It's a tough movie. It's it's very oh it's, it's very yeah. very tough to watch. It's incredibly depressing, but highly recommend it. Uh, what are you gonna give? Nothing bad can happen out of ten. I actually give this a nine. I am gonna give it. Uh, well, I gave it a four and a half on Letterbox, so uh, eight and a half, nine, somewhere in, in there. Might go nine. Ooh. It's great. Check it out. All right, let's talk about The Raid 2. Ernie, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How you doing? No problem. I'm doing good, sir. How was it on your end? Pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, So this is written and directed by Gareth Evans. The synopsis says, Only a short time after the first raid, Rama goes undercover with the thugs of Jakarta and plans to bring down the syndicate and undercover 
the corruption within his police force. Now, uh, this is playing... It got a wide release, actually, this this weekend. So my review is up on the site. I've been gushing over this movie since I saw it at Sundance. So, Ernie, we'll start it with you. What did you think of The Raid 2? Uh, well, it was my most anticipated movie of the year. And fortunately, thankfully, it did not disappoint at all. Um, I would actually say it's far superior to The Raid 1, which I thought was a fantastic uh a totally unexpected, fantastic action movie that came out of nowhere. And uh, and Gareth Evans and company just really brought it to the table to open up this world that we're introduced to in the first one. And it, they just went balls out crazy with this one. Yeah, I think balls out crazy is <laughs> that is the most descriptive way you can you can, you can say about this movie, because it's uh, it's pretty insane. I mean, I loved the first raid. I was really excited uh, I can't even remember how I saw a trailer for the first raid, but I was so excited to see it. And then it that the first one got a wide release also. Right. And I remember when yeah. I first found that it got a wide release, I was like so excited. I went like opening day and I was, I was just completely mm-hmm. blown away. I had never seen an action movie like that movie. I mean, it was just amazing. And, you know, they, I knew that they were going to be making the raid too. Uh, pretty much like right after the first one. And my biggest question was, how can they possibly top this? You know, like I was thinking the best they could do is have it be on the same level. (laughs) Like that's, that's the best that they, (laughs) that they could do because I don't, I don't think you could ever match that first one. And, and yet here we are with the second one and it tops it in almost every way. Now I think that there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of aspects of the first one that I think uh, are arguably better or on the same level as the sequel. But like, like you mentioned, the sequel opens this whole world up and it's uh, much broader in scope. I mean, it's two and a half hours long and I think it has 19 action scenes in it. And at least it, it almost, it turns into this, huge crime film this like epic crime movie which is that's the thing that i didn't expect about this movie i mean i expected the amazing action but this kind of deep interwoven crime story is what i was kind of surprised with Mm. and um a lot of people are comparing this movie to the godfather part two and i do see the the similarities there with the godfather trilogy do you see that similarity also um, I would probably go beyond Godfather and maybe think of it more on the Infernal Affairs trilogy. Now, see, I haven't seen like, I haven't like, seen the oh. second one or the third one, so. Okay, well, because um, Infernal Affairs two is essentially the Godfather two of that trilogy, and that was an awesome movie that just opened up the world even bigger and made the whole entire story itself like more epic than it was in the first movie. So um, that's kind of what Gareth Evans did here. And I just love the fact that you wouldn't have thought that that's what what's going to be going on outside of the raid. I'm like, you're like, okay, you just got this one like big mafia guy that that this gangster that they took down. I'm like, what more is there? Right. And bam, it's like there's a lot more to this world than you could have anticipated. And Gareth Evans and, uh, did say that the raid two was supposed to be the first one. So like when he was first developing the script, this was the one that he wrote first, but. He just didn't have the budget to make 
right. a movie like this. So he was like, okay, well, let's uh, let's just give him a smaller version. So they did the raid, which you know was a decidedly smaller budget. Uh, the the whole movie takes place in one location, and with this one, you mean you got car chases, all kinds of different great uh, locations. Yeah, and yeah, it's a, it's expansive too because it's not just limited to one day, twelve hours of writing. Right. This is like this is like a year, several years long epic. Right, exactly. And then not only that, but you have a ton uh, more characters, and the characters in this oh, yeah. are uh, for the most part more fleshed out than in the first one where you know you just have basically random cops and then you have the few of the the villains and a few of the the good guys that they kind of developed but in this one it's like you have all these characters and there are certain characters that are not like uh hammer girl and and bat boy are like Mm. we don't know anything about them but that's that's not a bad thing that's actually a good thing you know just enough about them and their interaction that there's like, yep, yeah, these guys are badasses. Yeah, exactly. So. And uh, I just, the the main thing that we have to talk about with the raid two though, is the action because that's the focal point. I mean, that's what, you know, that's the reason that people need to see this movie. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, <laughs> it, yeah. The, uh, the action sequences. Cause I remember from the raid one that I was like energized after that. I saw that movie because I haven't seen action on this uh, martial arts action on this level in any present day like like action movie i mean not that this exceeds what tony ja or even jackie chan and company were able to accomplish in their day that's like it almost makes like tony ja's action movies seem quaint in comparison and um and then i was like energized and ray two it's because now i know gareth evans style i didn't have the energy level that i had on raid one not to say that's a bad thing but he was giving me different action he was like showing me things that i've seen before in other films but done more elegantly and and uh and, and medications more viscerally oh, yeah. and ways that are like how the hell did he do that and stuff like that yeah and and that's the thing like 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 i said before i was expecting more of the same and it was like gareth evans said okay we can't do the same thing we have the same characters we have the same martial arts style so it's going to be the fight scenes are going to be there and it's going to be a similar style but we have to up the ante and that's what he does like on every single level the the violence is ramped up to past 11 in this movie i mean it is so and violent utterly utterly amazed it's still got an r rating yeah yeah <laughs> and and the, the version that i saw at sundance was not the final version and i was after the screening i was like there's he's got to cut stuff there's no way they're gonna let him get mm. an r rating because it was before he submitted it and he didn't have to cut anything he got the r rating so yeah he, i i believe he said in like a q a that he really only had to cut like a few things here and there and he really didn't lose anything yeah there <laughs> it, and he did release uh com- he cut a full-on action scene i don't know if you saw that but there was an entire action scene that he cut out of this movie, and I watched it. I have no idea where yeah. it even fits in the movie. Yeah, I have, neither do I. I'm like, okay, where, where, where does this take place and when? Yeah, I mean, the the, you know, the characters but, were completely different. And I was like, okay, all right, I uh-huh. guess it would go in there somewhere. No, maybe he'll maybe he'll save it for the next one or something. I don't know. I mean, it was a great scene. I mean, all the action scenes were great. Uh, yeah, I think what my favorite action scene in this entire movie. I think had to be the car chase uh, because I'm not a huge fan of car chases, but the way that this was shot 
was like nothing I have ever seen before. And I was so impressed on a technical level and how they did this. Like the, the, yeah. Yeah. And certain shots, it's like he took a book straight out of Quaron. Uh, his, the, the car scene in children of men. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, he was like, he studied that and like pulled off some similar stunts in that And way. it was crazy. But, uh, I mean, just like the top down, the top down view I thought was incredible how when Rama was fighting like the four dudes in the car all at once and they like did it straight down. And then that the most, one of the most impressive shots that I've seen in, in this whole movie is when the camera's in the one car and it goes outside of the car and then into mm-hmm. another car and then out of that car. And just the way that, and if you watch the making of, which is up on Vimeo, they show you how they did that. And it's incredible. <laughs> oh, I got to check they that had out. a guy dressed up like a car seat. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. He uh, talked about that during the Q and a and everyone was like, how do they, what really? <laughs> it's like, that's and the cars are actually in motion yeah. when, when that, that, that transfers were happening. So. I thought when I first saw it, I was like, maybe that's CG. Like maybe he used some CG stuff, but no, no, they really did it. They yeah. literally handed the camera off to s- separate cameramen. And there was one camera guy that was laying on like a platform that they built on the side of the car <laughs> outside mm-hmm. while it was driving. I mean, it's just, it's stuff like that. That's incredible. And that's one of the things that, I love the most about the raid and the raid two is the camera work. I think that Gareth Evans has such a handle on how to shoot action that it's, it's yeah. like completely yeah, unparalleled. Mean, if this was a Michael Bay production, you'd have shaky oh, cam God. like crazy and quick cuts mm-hmm. left and right to the point where you wouldn't have any idea what the hell's going on. And even though, you know, these three, they, three people are fighting, but like you're, you can't make sense of it, but uh, Evans in one and two basically was able to just like shoot in a way where you don't lose track of what's going on. You know exactly who's fighting where, you know, the environment and you could like point out, I was like, Oh, I see something there. What if they're going to use that in the scene? And then eventually they do. It's like, Oh, I see that. It's like, what's going to happen there. It's like, you don't lose track of anything at all. And this, a lot of the action scenes are hectic. Right. And the fact that you, you're, there's no confusion in there is like, adds to the, the enjoyment. Yeah. I mean the, the prison fight scene alone where it's just complete chaos in this giant, mud pit i mean exactly in that one it's like everybody's covered in mud i'm like who is who and like you can still keep track uh, not to be racist or anything they're all asian fighters but and covered in mud so that doesn't help and they're all wearing the same wardrobe so it's like you're still able to keep track of the the main principles involved in the fight so it's so it's a credit to him and and the actors themselves too yeah i mean i i think that just everything about this movie is incredible to watch just on a stylistic and technical level. It's just, it's amazing what he's accomplished. And I just, when I see this, and I'm a fan of action movies, and when I see The Raid and The Raid 2, I just feel like this is like nothing I've seen before. And Mm. you you can compare it to other martial arts films, like you mentioned Tony Jaa and Jackie Chan. But to me, like, this doesn't even, they're not even close, you know? Right. As far as how it's done. It's like he... It's almost as if he studied every single martial arts or action movie and was like, okay, this is this was good. And I'm going to take a page from this, but I'm going to make it a little bit better by doing this instead. And I think a lot of that has to do with the camera work. I really do like how the camera is constantly moving and swooping. It's almost as if you're a spectator. It's like you're in the room with this. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's almost as if the camera is a character in and of itself. And a good example, like in the raid right. one, when um, when they shoot the floor and they go and they drop underneath to the floor below them, yeah. and how the camera goes right. in underneath with them, like right. And and they do stuff like that in this one as well. The I know there's a couple scenes, at least one that I can think of, where Rama takes a dude's head and smashes it into a wall, and the way that the camera the camera focuses on the dude's head and follows it as it smashes into the wall and just that effect that little yeah. effect looks so good yeah yeah but he also Man, there's a lot of that though <laughs> it, it, but he uses a lot of, he he does some other stuff too like there's some really good dolly shots like down hallways and stuff and one of the scenes that i i liked a lot the second time that i saw it that i guess maybe i didn't pick up on was just the that simple shot of the big fight scene between uh bat bat boy and hammer girl and that that dude with the blades um that scene where they did that like slow zooming in on the that leaf and then the blood spray on the leaf it's just little stylistic touches like that that i felt like added so much to what was happening on screen it was like this artistic violence that was taking place that was just beautiful to watch Mm -hmm. I guess the uh, the big the best thing about the raid two is the fact that it's despite the plethora of action it's actually got a uh, really well put together story yeah, and that's uh, yeah. cr- crime saga in there so yeah that... almost almost like Cap two where there's like a political thriller buried in there and amongst all the action so which ended up elevating that movie so it's like uh, this really like I don't want to say it's like the heat of uh, of the raid saga <laughs> or anything like that but it's uh, it's a pretty huge gangster film. it is i mean you that, have that, all these different crime families that are that are that like three is it three or is it just, well, there, I, th- I think it's three i think there well there's sort of two there's the the main crime family and then there's like the main bad guy that has the the sunglasses and the cane and like there his group is coming up and then you also have the japanese as well so you have all these yeah. different crime families that are nearing war with one another and making sense of the relationships and all that. I mean, it's, it's a complicated movie. It it really is. And that's something that I did Mm -hmm. not expect considering the first one. I think it's, I think that the raid two is more rewarding than the first one, but I think that it's less accessible. I think that the runtime and the, the pauses between the violence and the action, I think that that will actually turn off some, some viewers yeah uh just because they don't have the patience for it and right, it's not right th- or the fact that well, they probably don't like read subtitles right. either <laughs> and i don't fault the movie for that at all i think that it's just uh for general audiences seeing d- dedicating themselves to a two and a half hour long movie that has subtitles i think for for the general movie going public that's a lot to ask but mm-hmm. you know what i say if if they don't want to stick with it the payoff is huge and yeah, yeah. good riddance if they don't want to stick with it. I mean, in terms of, I mean, fights and escalation, it's the final fight that takes place is like, it's, it's not as huge and epic like the car chaser or the, uh, the courtyard. I mean, the prison yard fight or anything like that. But the, uh, the fight between not even the, the big, big bad guy, but one of the, the lead henchmen between Rama and uh, I don't even blades, I guess his name is. <laughs> that was just like a really great choreographed fight 
that was uh, on par with the three-way fight from uh, the first raid. Yeah. And even more brutal, if you can believe very, that. Very <laughs> brutal, very long, too. The, it, it, was, it was very long and pretty incredible to and watch. And almost, almost realistic in many ways, where these two are kicking each other's ass and they actually willingly take moments to catch their <laughs> breath. Uh, mutually catch their breath before they before they attack each other again. <laughs> it was like it's like okay, let me say all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and then just I mean I th- so it was just really cool. I think that a lot of I don't know if people it's so over the top. You know, it's uh, it reaches almost cartoon levels of violence. I mean, it mm-hmm. is it is so crazy, and I was just so on board with it. You know, like I think that. It says something when you have a movie that's this serious, you know, that deals with the Godfather level of uh, crime dramas, and you throw in mm. a girl that kills people with hammers, and it, it just seems so silly, and, and it, it almost seems like it wouldn't fit, you know. But it, yeah. he just he makes it work, and it's just. Yeah, it's almost like those three characters were out of like Kill Bill or something. Yeah, I mean, they, like Kill Bill, Kill Bill rejects. <laughs> yeah, it was like I don't know. It was like something out of a manga or something that it it almost it was like they didn't they shouldn't have fit into this story, but they did just because of how awesome they were and just how badass mm-hmm. they were. Yeah, I was just thinking that it's I guess the best way to describe this would be if you combine the raid with Johnny Toad's drug war. I don't know if you yeah seen yeah. that one it's it's basically like those two mashed together and combined together that that you had raid too yeah i uh, i definitely i could see some some johnny toe in there especially with the more dramatic parts and dealing with the cops and and, and crime lords and how it all comes together in yeah the and how he goes undercover which he goes undercover for two years he gets put away for two fucking years like that's crazy yep (laughs) uh that's that's just and i I mean i can't wait for the third one like i want to see it right now yeah i want to see it but now i'm like what's he gonna do now can 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 he i'm like i'm kind of concerned it's like you did raid one two are awesome but it's like what are you gonna do with the third one that's like the pro too much there's too much pressure there i mean between but, um, between the raid the raid 2 and his uh his short film that he did his segment on vhs 2 i feel like gareth evans is i mean he's just unstoppable like i'm completely yeah, he is he is somebody i do want to see do a major hollywood movie but i think he would probably be losing so much control in that case i think that i mean i think he's going to be doing a horror movie uh hmm. I know that he's going to be working with uh, the one, the other director that did VHS two with him, Timo. Uh, I think he's working with him on something. I think he's doing like the action scenes for their next movie, the Mo Brothers. But yeah, I know he's currently working on the Raid remakes, the American English language remake. Yeah, they. Somebody yeah. asked him when I saw. So just just some backstory on, on my viewing of the raid too so i saw it at at sundance and during the screening someone had they fainted or had a seizure or something so they had to stop the movie oh yeah i read about that (laughs) yeah the dude was sitting like two rows behind me and like i just heard shuffling and i turn around and people started yelling so they had to stop the movie and 
and then they did they did a Q&A and stuff after that. And then I tried to see it again at South by with Ryan and we sit down and they, they got a late start. No subtitles, no Ooh. subtitles. So they stop it. And Gareth Evans came out and they did like an extended Q&A. And he talked to the audience for probably 35, 40 minutes while they were trying to fix it. And then they didn't they weren't able to fix it. So they had to cancel it. Mm. So during that time, I feel like I've I've seen him talking for forever. Plus, I plus I got into the the raid Two premiere party and he was he, he was there. I got to meet him and the whole cast and everybody. And that was awesome. But mm. during that time, he did talk about the somebody asked him about the American remake. And it was just so funny because he's like, well, I hope it's good. He's just like, I don't really have anything to do with it, but hope it's good. But, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what happens with this uh, Brick Mansions, which is a remake of uh, District B... 13. B13. Is that a remake? No. I, I didn't... Uh, yeah. Because when I saw the trailer, I was like, wow, it looks exactly like <laughs> District B13. I didn't know it was an actual remake. Yeah, it's 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 an actual remake, and it's actually... It's the same the dude, same guy. yeah. Yeah, I actually yeah, saw. Except, except I think they. I don't think he plays the same character though. I think Paul Walker plays his character, and then he plays the other dude's character, and then he plays the other guy. Mm. No. I saw both of those. There's they. I think they made two of them. I don't know yeah, if they made yeah, more than two. The, I didn't see the sequel yet. So. I saw it. It's it's decent, but it's like uh, there's no story there. You know, you you just. That's the type of movie. It's like a Tony Shaw movie where you just watch it and you fast forward through through anything yeah. but the action. And that's yeah. Speaking of the speaking of Tony Shaw, the the trailer for Protector Two went online, and then I watched it. I'm like, Egh. yeah, I didn't even watch it. <laughs> I used I used to be I used to be a huge. I'm, I guess I'm still a fan of Tony Shaw, but I'm like I'm watching the trailer and I'm thinking that's obviously CGI. That's clearly fake. They didn't do that practical. I'm like. And then after watching the Ray 2, I'm like, why are you guys cheating? <laughs> I'm like, why why aren't you doing this for real? It can be done. It's like, just ask Kevin Evans. And I'm like, looking at him, like, there's a fight scene and it involves like a train. I'm like, <laughs> and then they, something happens where they got to go under the train. And it clearly, it clearly looks like a blatant CGI visual effect. But I, I'm sure with Garrett Evans, he would find a way yeah. <laughs> with camera angles and whatnot to act actually get the actual men under that train without killing anyone <laughs> yeah i'm sure he would because so. he's a badass like that i mean but th- and that was the other thing like the, the the action scenes in the raid 2 are just so brutal and visceral but they look real like everything looks mm-hmm. so real and you know during the car chase yeah they didn't use any cg in that car chase so there's no yeah. crazy like Fast and Furious like cars flipping around everywhere like everything they did was mm-hmm. real and when you see yep. it on the screen that that makes it so much more effective right and crazy absolutely crazy which I, which I guess was also an improvement for Captain America too because they did most of their effects practical yeah most of the stunts were done live yeah I mean that's that's the way to do it. I mean, there there was CG in the raid too. There was a little bit of CG in the raid one yeah. also, but it was mm-hmm. things that just they weren't they weren't they didn't use it as a crutch. I'm sure it was mostly the CG blood. I'm guessing. Yeah, which, w- which they didn't even they still used a lot of practical blood too. Like because generally I hate CG blood. 
I hate it. I think mm. it looks terrible. But in this, it was like they used it on top of like squibs or, you know, blood packs or whatever to just give it, right. you know, a little bit more, just enhance it a little bit more. And boy, was it fucking bloody. <laughs> this movie <laughs> was bloody. Yeah. And I, yep. it, it's just, it's such a glorious film. So I can't speak highly enough about The Raid 2. And if it's playing in your area, go see it now because I have a feeling that it won't mm-hmm. be there long. Right, right. Unfortunately. And when I went to see it, there was only three other groups in the theater with me. And one of them left about 15 minutes in. Really? Yeah. Uh, that was at the uh, one of the open theaters? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's terrible. Just terrible. I don't blame the movie, of course. I blame the area that I'm currently living in. (laughs) It's not the kind of movie, I guess. All right. Uh, Well, I gave Raid 2 a 10 out of 10. And I'll tell you why I gave it a 10 out of 10. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think that there are a few things. I think that it could have been trimmed up a little bit. I think that there were a couple extraneous scenes that they probably could have removed. Like, um, I can't remember the dude's name from the, the first one, but... Like his whole thing, he played the uh, that like assassin, the hitman. Oh yeah, yeah. I felt like they yeah. they just yeah, I agree. I agree with. They that spent one. a little bit too much time with him, and I and I, I understand the need for his character because they wanted to use that mm-hmm. to try to spark this war. But I felt like they just spent a little bit too much time with him, and there were just a couple mm-hmm. other things here and there that probably could have been, you know, trimmed trimmed up a bit, but. Overall, I gave it a 10 out of 10 because it's simply one of the best action movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, that's high praise. For me, for, yeah, tr- it truly is. For me, it's right up there with like Terminator 2 and Die Hard. I mean, it's cream of the crop. Oh, yep, I would agree. And you, for the most part, you gave it. I gave it a, a nine, 9 out of 10. 10. Uh, for me, there, I definitely noticed some editing issues and some pacing issues, and I agree that the. Uh, the fight scene, the the whole story arc dealing with the assassin, who played by one of the best villains of the first one, returning as a different character, so that nobody's confused that it's the same guy. But uh, it it was interesting that they threw that in there, but it just felt a little excessive. Yeah. I'm like, let's let's get back to the main story. You know, it's like it's um it's a uh, I don't know if you ever saw uh, John Woo's Red Cliff. No, I didn't. It was a it was a epic five hour yeah. epic. Uh, film I, I thought it was fantastic but um but because it's a five-hour film you can do a lot of stuff with it but there was an entire like half the movie you don't even realize until later when it gets to it but half the movie is a setup for this one sequence just to like make sense as to why everyone's there at that time and this everything and without it i mean sure you can trim it down and would have like uh like would have got a sense of it and um it really helped out big time with that in that case because that was a long movie and you knew it was going to be a long movie, but here, where you kind of like want to keep it moving, it while the fight scene was cool, it did kind of slow it down for me, but um, but not enough to ruin the movie. But um, and overall, I guess my main qualm was the fact because of the freshness of the raid one was lost, but still that didn't ruin the movie at all because I still enjoyed the raid two thoroughly. Right. But I just wasn't as energized as I was the first time I saw the raid one. There were a couple, and there were a couple little like small quibbles I had, um, like lo- just logic problems like as far as the the bug that he puts in the dude's wallet like to me mm-hmm. that, that seems so silly like why would you put a giant <laughs> microphone in the dude's wallet like wouldn't 
you know, yeah. he, he he would use his wallet all the time throughout the day. You know, like, it's the well, worst a, place in the world things. to hide a bug. Yeah. There's other funny things that Evans gets away with, like there's snow. Oh, yeah, the snow. <laughs> and, then he, and then he was explaining, he's like, yeah, everybody from there knows it doesn't snow there. But I like snow. I like fighting in the snow. So I'm putting in snow. Yeah, and, that, and that was the thing. Like a lot of the stuff you just you give it a pass just because it looks cool or it's it's these extraneous little plot details that maybe don't necessarily make a lot of sense but who cares (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. i don't care it's it's an amazing film and i think that it it is definitely one of the best action films to come out in since the raid (laughs) one yeah um I don't know if, because uh, the screening I went to out here in L.A., he, they had a Q&A afterwards, too, and he talked a bit about Raid 3. said he hasn't really written it yet, but he knows the ideas of what he's going with, and he teased how Raid Raid 2 takes place mere, af- mere hours after Raid 1, and he was trying to give everyone a timeline. It's like, maybe Raid 3 begins mere hours before Raid 2 ends. It's like, hmm, and that's all he would say. We're like, what are you planning? I have, so, I have some theories about that, but I don't want to spoil the end of the the second yeah. one. So, there you have it. Yeah. So essentially, by the time Raid Three comes out, you have to see Raid One and Two. So there you go. The 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 interesting thing though that, that since you brought that up, I don't necessarily think that you do need to see the Raid One to see the Raid Two because I was hmm. I was thinking about that, and other than really no the first few minutes, really yeah. knowing the you wouldn't understand what happens at the very beginning of the movie, but that is, you don't need to understand that really, you know, cause they, they do mm-hmm. say who that person is at the beginning. And then yeah. other than knowing who Rama is and what he had to go through previously, you know, that there's just not a lot of need to see the first one. I mean, I think you should certainly, but mm-hmm. you know, if, mm-hmm. if you, you know, can't get your hands on it, cause I know it's not playing on Netflix instant, but, you know, right. for whatever reason, if you go see the second one without seeing the first one, I don't think that you're going to miss a lot. Eh, probably not. But you should definitely eh, see. At the very least, it'll get you to go back and see the first one, of course. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that that will wrap it up. Go see The Raid 2. It is playing now in theaters. Thank you again, Ernie, for taking some time to talk with us. Yep. No problem. All right. Let's get into some predictions. Last week we said Rio 2, uh, you said 62, I said 68, actual 50. Ooh. Oculus, you said 74, I said 76, actual 71. Draft Day, which we gave a 7, and a half, a seven out of 10 on the site, by the way. Ernie wrote a review mm. for that. Yeah. So I'll have right. to talk to him about that, just out of curiosity. <laughs> uh, you said 0, I said 20. <laughs> Uh, actual 63. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then finally, the railway man. You said 54. I said 60. Actual 68. Uh, next week, we have the other woman. That looks terrible. Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, I'm going to guess mm, 35. Ooh, I'm going to go 32. Okay. And Brick Mansions. I believe that that is the final Paul Walker. Well, no, I guess he'll be in uh, the new Fast and Furious. Sorry. Brick Mansions is a uh, Brick Mansions parkour. I feel like it's a it's the type of movie that came like 
five five <laughs> years too late. Yes. <laughs> it's a yes. parkour action film. Hardcore parkour. Riza is the bad guy though. That should tell you everything that you need to know. Oh. <laughs> I sorry. Uh, sorry well, you're, Risa, you're, but... you're right though. What are you thinking on Brick Mansions? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking thirty seven. I think it's gonna be pretty terrible, actually. So I'm gonna say like twenty five. It's pretty much it. Ooh, solid weekend coming up. Yeah, I think it's one of those weekends that you should uh, play catch up with your VOD viewing. Also, The Quiet Ones comes out. I I think that that is actually getting a wide release too. It's a horror film. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I just saw a trailer for that today. Looks slightly interesting. Yeah, I I heard not great things about it, but it's got a great poster. So. <laughs> Also, limited release. It's got that going for it. Limited release. We have Lock, which uh, which is one I missed at Sundance. A lot of people, a lot of people, have been buzzing that one. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for this Tom one. Tom Hardy. The entire film takes place in a car. There you driving. go. Also, The Machine, Blue Ruin, which I cannot recommend Ooh, highly uh, enough. I want to I want to see that bad. I think that Very that badly. we may review that next week because I think that that's hitting VOD. So. Ooh, nice. Uh, Last Passenger, which I don't know too much about. Walking with the Enemy. Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have <laughs> Date and Switch. Ooh. The Nut Job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Nut Job. Philomena, which I might, which I might actually check out just to get my Coogan fix. <laughs> actually, fix. the new season of the uh, the trip. The trip to Italy started. They're two episodes Ooh, in, nice. so it's it's decent. Uh, not not quite as funny as the original one, though. Mm. Uh, Ride Along, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, After the Dark, and Interior Leather Bar. So pretty. There you <laughs> go. Pretty. There you go. Pretty small week for DVD and Blu-ray. Pretty shitty week, actually. Mm. Uh, any a, Criterion's? There's uh, we got one Criterion. Coming out on the old Blu-ray. That's Lars von Trier breaking the waves. Oh, did you see? Uh, that reminds me. Did you see the that uh, Werner Herzog box set that Shout Factory is putting out? Whoa! You gotta look at that. Whoa! I don't know if it's out yet or if it's coming out. I want all of it right <sighs> yeah, now. It looks awesome. Yes, I'll take it. I'll take it. Give it to me. Shout Factory, man. Good stuff. I want that more than anything in the world. Uh, and, so yeah, breaking the waves. Do a uh, do a double bill of Blue Ruin and Breaking the Waves. Not exactly. Don't you think that's exactly? Do you, sure th- they match, do you think that's fine? I'm just I'm just thinking of two depressing things. You know, Blue Ruin takes place at in Ocean City. Does it? <laughs> yeah, at the beginning, at least. <laughs> that's where he lives. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Does it involve ICs and ping pong? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it involves a lot of revenge and a lot of murder and a lot of violence. Uh, well, I think that that'll wrap it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us your questions to podcast at filmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
God.